you know, I had a really rough chapter for sure in the, especially six to eight months after the accident. Um, just kind of wrestling with like, you know, what I'm doing in this sport, what my goals are, what I'm willing to, willing to sacrifice and what I'm not. And, you know, I, I felt like, and I still do feel like, um, I really, really should be, I should be dead. I shouldn't have made it through that. Like, it doesn't make sense. Welcome back to the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley, your hostess for the show. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Since 1862, Mammut has been making gear that allows you to confidently go. In these challenging times, make sure you are recreating responsibly and adventure locally. This month, Mammut will be giving away the Wall Rider MIPS helmet. This helmet offers lightweight performance while protecting you on your most challenging projects. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can win this helmet. Thank you to our friends at Desert Mountain Medicine, Sunto, and Minus 33 for supporting the show. Minus 33 Merino Wool Clothing is a 100-plus-year-old, five-generations family-run wool company. They produce 100% wool-based layer products designed and tested by New Hampshire's own outdoors. It insulates when wet, has great UV protection, is odor-resistant, moisture-wicking, super soft, and cozy. Did I mention it doesn't stink? Visit minus33.com forward slash the sharp end and 10% of those proceeds will be donated to the National Conservation Fund. Today I chat with Scott Reed from Boulder, Colorado. Mid-December of 2018, he went out with his climbing partner to climb a route called The Road, Water Ice 3 M4 on Mount Evans. As you heard in the intro, he is shocked that he survived this accident. And I'll let him tell you the rest. Enjoy. So my name is Scott Reed. I'm an architectural designer from Boulder, Colorado. Um, I've been climbing mountains. Climbing mountains has been a passion of mine in some form or another for about 10 years. Like others have said in the past, you know, I've listened to your podcast for years and I want to say I'm like simultaneously honored, but also embarrassed mm. <laughs> to be on the podcast. Um, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. And, and thanks for the bravery and the vulnerability of being on. And, um, you know, I think that you're able to give a gift to all of the folks in the outdoor industry and the, and the climbing community, like our tribe, mm -hmm. you know, to share, share your personal experience with everybody so we can learn from it. And, and you're so brave for doing that. So thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So this was, uh, December 29th of 2018. It was in the Chicago Lakes Basin of Mount Evans in Colorado. Okay. My best climbing buddy, Noah, and I were uh, gearing up for some kind of weekend alpine ice adventure. Um, and we picked a line called The Road on Mount Evans, which is Water Ice 3 M4. Um, I think it has about a seven mile hike in, uh, some of which is off trail bushwhacking through willows and over a frozen lake and then slogging up 
a snow-covered boulder field to get to the ice. The weather that morning was super windy and super cold. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mid-December, it, you know, during a good snow year, it was, it was you know, deep powder and, um, yeah, the wind chill was probably, it made it feel closer to zero degrees above tree line at times. So we started, I think we got to the trailhead at like 1 a.m. Uh, maybe it might have been 1 to 2. Um, and I remember at the trailhead, we paused for quite a bit as we tried to gather more weather data and beta. Um, and it, we spent a lot of time there because service was really bad slash no service. Um, and that, you know, influenced the story later as well. So we started hiking, I want to say closer to two or three. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the seven mile hike in went by pretty fast. Um, and we stopped at the lake, took a few pictures, which I think you have on your website. Um, and then started slogging up the boulder field. We found, um, a pretty big low angle pitch of ice. So we stopped, built a, an anchor. I think we plugged two cams, um, belayed off the anchor. Um, I led that first pitch and I think we ran out, uh, just about the entire length of the 60 meter rope. I got to the top of that pitch and this was, you know, low water ice three. I got to and, the, and, and like very much in your ability level. This is something that you and Noah would, would do. Yeah. yeah. So Noah and I have been ice climbing now for, um, I mean, I've been ice climbing for about, I want to say going on four years. Um, Noah about like two and a half to three. Um, but we're both strong climbers and we've been climbing rock a lot longer than that. Um, and we've been hiking mountains a lot longer than that. Well, so when you were climbing this lo- sort of low angle, massive mm-hmm. chunk of ice, what time did you start the climb? Cause if you left the trailhead between one and 2 AM. So from the trailhead to the lake, um, I believe that's a little over five, almost six miles. So that was, that was probably, let's see, 5 a.m. By the time we got to the lake, I think we paused there for a while, cramponed up. Um, I think we threw on some more layers because it was really, really windswept and cold in the lake. Um, slogged up the boulder field probably took another hour before we actually like had built an anchor and started climbing. So it was probably six 30 by the time we were climbing. Okay. That gives me a better uh, picture of what's happening. So at the top of this, uh, first pitch, um, it got somewhat steeper. There was a, a bulge of ice. You, you kind of top out over that bulge and there's a bit of a, a half cave of rock on the left side. Um, so there's a, you know, a bit of an angled platform to stand on, and there's some chossy rock that um, you can look for gear placements in. So at that spot, I had a three-piece rock anchor. Um, I remember I placed a number four cam, big one, uh, the big tri-cam, and then a small stopper. Um, and then 
Blade Noah up um, on those three. And they seemed pretty equalized. It, it seemed like whatever load that anchor took w- would be pretty well equalized between those three pieces. Um, but remembering back on it, I don't think Noah ever took onto the rope. So I don't think that anchor ever got fully loaded. So after that first pitch, kind of hike through a bit of a a powder stash uh, to the right, and then we started scrambling kind of more mixed rock and ice that got a little bit steeper. Um, And we we kept going. Uh, Noah was ahead of me. I think we had the rope strung out, but we just weren't pitching out. It was kind of just like scrambling, and I, I think we put a piece in here or there like simul. So you and Noah were simul climbing the second pitch? Yes. We continued climbing, and things started to get much stormier. I'm a little fuzzy on time stamps of like you know when everything happened during the climb itself, but at some point... It was stormy enough that we were, you know, concerned about our own safety. Was it precipping? It wasn't, but it was just blowing really hard. And okay. um, yeah, it was just very thick clouds. I think I had all of my layers on. So I had like base layer, fleece, midweight down, hard shell, and a belay puffy over all that. Um, and I was still really cold. Um, so... We had walkies. Um, he was maybe uh, 100, 150 feet in front of me. Um, and we were having trouble figuring out where the exit off of this route was. Um, it kind of opens up into a big bowl of different rock shoots um, that, that kind of top out um, onto where you can walk to the, to the Mount Evans Road that would be our walk-off. Um, but we just couldn't figure out which one of those shoots was the proper exit. So we were radioing back and forth, and we ultimately made the decision that um, because we just didn't know which one would actually top us out or which one would cliff us out, and because it was storming really hard and we were both really cold, we made the decision to bail repel. So I guess real quick before that, so while I was cli- still climbing up towards Noah, um, I think he things got steeper, and I think he put in like two stoppers um, and kind of put me on belay um, and kind of like you know a long loose belay, um, and I did actually uh, like pop a tool out of the rock and I fell. Um, onto those onto those two stoppers. Um, I would have to ask Noah, it may have even been one stopper that, that he had just kind of thrown me on belay on. I think it was two. Um, but no matter, it caught me. And so then later when we decided to bail repel, and he was still maybe 100 feet above me, he basically just decided to bail on that one stopper. Um. So while he was rappelling down to me, um, I set up, I I was starting to set up the second bell rappel. I had, I want to say it was like, it was a small DMM offset peanut stopper. It was in 
um, a decent constriction. It wasn't, you know, the best. Um, but I filled, fiddled with it for a while while he was on repel and got it to a place where I felt like it was really good. Um, weighted it, bounced on it a, a, a good bit. And um, then when he got down to me, I think we had some kind of interaction like, you know, I commented that he bailed on that stopper. And then I think he, you know, essentially acknowledged that I was also just putting in one stopper. And, you know, I was like, it's good. And, you know, that was enough for us to be like, okay, cool. Um, and enough. Did he look at it? I, I don't think he looked at it in detail, no. And I, I remember before rappelling on that stopper, I remember looking behind me and thinking, all right, if this blows, what will happen? And it looked like most likely, you know, you'd kind of just fall back into that powder stash. So I remember at least on that second bail rappel, you know, that was on my mind. Well, how, how high up were you right at this point? Um, I mean, it's a fuzzy number because, you know, you're on kind of like the angled side of a mountain that kind of just gradually, there's not really like a deck, it kind of just gradually like angles down into the lake. So we were maybe a thousand feet above the lake. Um, but it was, but it wasn't vertical. It was the side of a mountain. So it, you know, yeah, it was, uh, stepped. it was stepped. It was like, there was parts that were near vertical and there was parts that were near horizontal. Most of it was like averaging out to like, I don't know, 30 to 45 degree angle. Okay. Gotcha. But you're, but you're a thousand feet up on the side of the mountain or above the lake. Yes. You know, this whole time we're still freezing, getting hammered by wind. Um, so I clipped that stopper, went on repel, repelled down to that first spot that, um, I had built that first anchor and belayed no up that little half rock cave above the ice bulge. So he repelled second. He wrapped all the way past me and past that belay station and about 10 feet below me to a small ledge that was kind of below and out of the way because that belay station was very small. And I don't think we would have really fit in it very functionally. So Noah got off rappel kind of 10 feet below me. And, you know, this was in closer to vertical terrain, probably 60 degree angle. Um, I mean, I did get hit in the head that day. So if it's different than that, um, you know, don't quote me on it, but it was steeper terrain. So he got off rappel. I pulled rope. Um, while he was rappelling that time, I was in this half bull, half cave of a belay station where, where I had already built an anchor earlier that day. And, you know, I'm thinking like, all right, this is like a weekend adventure. You know, how much money do I want to lose on gear? Do I put in a $120 number four cam that would be bomber? Do I put in a, you know, a $25 large tri cam or do I put in this six dollar stopper oh that's so interesting that went through your head up there yeah yeah totally and i think it's worth mentioning that you know five months before this incident i was in peru climbing a really big mountain at like twenty thousand feet and had a multi-day descent where i placed 12 bale anchors 
Um, and not a single time on that trip did I rappel on one piece because I knew I was in Peru. And if there was an accident, there's no way they're rescuing us in time. And we didn't even have a way of notifying them. And, but just because I was in Colorado this time <laughs> and, you know, it's a weekend adventure and like I'd already placed, you know, a belay anchor in this spot. I got complacent and I was thinking, all right, $120 day, $20 day or $6 day. So while he was coming down, I put in that cheapest piece, the small stopper. $6 day. Yep. Um, and I remember before he came down, I PAS to it, anchored to that piece and basically just kind of bounced on it a little bit. Um, in the in roughly the direction of pull that I'd be rappelling on it with, um, finagled a bit, bounced on it, um, but it was in a place where it's really hard to see into the constriction that you're placing the the nut. So it was kind of like it was a very cramped cave, and it was you know a small nook of rock that you can't really fit your whole head into, and then the crack was going perpendicular to that little nook. So there was no way for me to get my eye down into that crack to see what that stopper was actually doing. I think that was also a, a, you know, near fatal mistake, but you know, I justified it to myself thinking like, you know, all right, well, we've already done two bail repels on a single piece. And like, you know, we're doing multiple repels, just trying to save money, whatever. And, you know, I'd already placed it as part of an anchor. It held, but it didn't cross my mind that that anchor was never loaded. Um, you know, also still cold, still getting blasted by wind and just rushing made a poor choice. So I clipped that piece, went on rappel, and I rappelled about 10 feet down onto the steepest part of the ice. And so this was just below the bulge. I want to say about 60 degree angle, totally bullet ice, like rock hard glass. And I'm, you know, fully leaning back, sitting back in my harness on rappel. And I kind of paused, I think, and I looked at Noah because he was 10 feet below that spot on a ledge. And we were around eye level. Um, and that's when the rope just busted loose. You know, I immediately knew what had happened. I think briefly my mind was kind of just scrambling and thinking like, okay, like what's next? What can I do? Um, and I remember, you know, at first I just kind of fell straight backwards until my crampons caught the ice and then that started flipping me and tumbling me. I remember I tried to grab an ice tool. I had my tools uh, racked on my, I think both tools on one side on a, on an, uh, ice screw hub. So I remember I tried to reach for a tool, you know, in some hope of self-arresting or, you know, something when I get slow enough. Um, but I remember as soon as I tried to move my arm in that direction, it's like kind of like being in a washing machine and getting hit by a car every second because I was just hitting, I was just falling and tumbling and hitting boulders and pieces of ice on the way down and just spinning so fast that there was just no way to make sense of which way was up or down or 
what things were around me or even still racked in my harness and, you know, couldn't control my limbs because they're just getting bashed around all over the place. And so essentially after the first three seconds of falling, I kind of just, you know, said, okay, like this is it, you know, just kind of, I just remember grimacing and, um, I mean, there wasn't even enough space in my head to like pray or think or anything. I was just kind of grimacing and that was it. I fell 400 feet. I mean, there was enough adrenaline going that I, I didn't feel pain yet. I was kind of just shocked that I was still alive. I still had my radio clipped to kind of my chest by my backpack strap. And Noah was just frantically radioing me. I, I remember I reached for my radio with my left hand and just shooting pain. And so I reached with my right hand and pushed the talk button and, and kind of just groaned <laughs> something like I'm alive or something like that into it. And then he radioed back that he was he was going to try to climb down to me because I had pulled the rope down with me. Down climbing, ice yes. or mix, mixed ice. Yeah, down climbing, free solo down climbing, um, low angle ice. Yeah, um, and like, and like, then, give me a rating. Give me, give me a rating. Um, if you were climbing up it, it would have been low, low water ice three. Okay. Um, so yeah, then the last two hundred feet towards me was was more, you know, snow and boulders. Um, I remember I couldn't really see because my I was wearing safety glasses. I like to ice climb with um, like shatterproof, like plastic safety glasses. Um, you know, I use Alpine ice tools that have a hammer on the back of it. And so I don't want one going in my eye or something like that. I remember that those safety glasses were just like kind of smashed into my face. And just like I had to like take my right glove off with my teeth and like kind of pry them out of my skin. So by the time he got to me, the pain was probably around a 10. Um, and I was able to just groan to him like like the brain of my pack, first aid kit. He got that out. In my first aid kit, I like to keep painkillers. So he gave me painkillers that brought the pain from like a, a 10 down to a 6 or 7 to where I could actually, you know, think clearly and communicate and, and start to problem solve. Noah had wilderness first aid training i remember he did ask me like you know all right like what day is it where are you you know what's your name etc and once he determined that i was you know that my head was on straight that i was able to you know that, that there wasn't like an immediate like traumatic brain injury and once he determined that you know that i had my wits about me you know he let me he gave me some agency in my own self-rescue and helped me problem solve with him I want to say by the by this time, it was. I want to say like three or four o'clock um, in the afternoon, right? Because yeah. you guys you guys started at six a.m. So yeah, three or four in the yep. afternoon, stormy, windy. Yep. Seven um, miles or more from the car. Yep. And not not on a straightforward trail either. I mean, this is a schwack, right. just totally. over boulders, just to get back to the car. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know kind of assessing that even at the car, you know, there were, there wasn't service that morning. Um, and so who knows how far we'd have to drive to get service. 
so we talked about potentially, you know, him, you know, like running back to the car and then like driving until he had service and like getting help and kind of just, you know, we, we quickly decided that that was just a bad idea because it was cold enough and neither of us had like, you know, uh, like sleeping bag or bivy or something. But And you're already wearing all of your layers too. Already wearing all my layers and like my belay puffy is like, you know, just loosing feathers into the wind like you know it's it's not as warm as it was (laughs) and so we decided that that just wasn't a good idea because by the time rescue gets to me i might be dead of hypothermia or something by then we decided you know we we kind of assessed what i could move and what i couldn't and figured out that you know at least from my pelvis down everything was unbroken and functional if you know even if it was bleeding it was like i could walk i could move my legs um i had a lot of back pain i had some hip pain i had that really intense shoulder pain and you know just general throbbing but you know determined that i could stand and then walk so you know we slowly began the process of you know getting me stood up and then like starting to just very gingerly walk down the slope um we kind of splinted my left arm with my backpack so i was wearing um a first ascent alchemist 40 backpack that has a good bit of structure in the back which i think probably saved me from paralysis i also i remember before i fell because i was wearing all of my hoods so like my base layer hood my down puffy hood my hard shell hood and my belay puffy hood i remember i could barely move my head Hmm. um and so that probably helped a lot during the fall Mm -hmm. um, to just stabilize my head from whipping around and breaking my neck and protect your neck yeah it's all protecting your neck as well totally so got super lucky Mm -hmm. there also um, I had really crappy ice hubs that were holding my ice tools and they immediately broke when I, on the first impact of the fall. So all of my ice screws or a bunch of my ice screws and both of my ice tools just like flew off of my hubs. And I think that was actually a really good thing because there was, there were very few pointy things left to stick into me. Anyway, we splinted my, my left arm with that, with a backpack strap, basically just stuffed the elbow back into the strap and then the shoulder strap and then tightened it down really well. And I think we, I think we wrapped around me with a cordelette as well and basically put the hips, hip belt and the, and the across the chest strap on to kind of support my back a bit. Gingerly walked down this slope. It took a lot of time cause it's still, you know, still kind of steep terrain, you know, loose rocks, choss, talus, underneath powder and so you know there was still a lot of like stumbling which would jolt my um you know broken shoulder and and you know just cause pain so it was it took a long time to get down to the lake by the time we were down to the lake it was pitch black dark um and we still had like six miles to hike out and we still had to bushwhack to get back to the trail the bushwhacking was absolutely brutal i want to say that part of the self-rescue was maybe the hardest thing i've ever done because i was just 
in so much pain, but was having to bushwhack through extremely dense, knotted, gnarly willow trees that were, you know, maybe as high as five to 10 feet above my head. And at the same time, you're also post holing into powder up to your waist. Noah did his best to like kind of route find and bushwhack in front of me. Um, but also because of that, he wasn't able to like, you know, be right beside me to like hold branches out of the way or anything. It was just like a really tight and knotted environment. And so I kind of just had to, with little did I know, a broken back and a broken shoulder had to like, you know, use my, my one good arm, my right arm, and just like wrench branches out of the way and be post holing through stuff. And that took hours. We hiked the rest of the, after the willows, maybe like five and a half miles back to the car. It was really late, 10 or 11 p.m. by the time we even got to the trail and started back to the car. So we got back to the car, I want to say at 1 a.m. So it was a, about, yeah, probably three. So it was about a 10 or 11 hour self-rescue. Well, I, I think that you did a lot of things right in this, Scott. I mean, uh, I like that you had, um, I like that you had radios mm-hmm. uh, and the placement of your radios to just, you know, clip right there on your, on your sternum strap of your backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that you had your first aid kit in your brain of your pack Mm -hmm. and you knew what was actually in your first aid kit and you had things that you could actually use and that would be helpful Mm. to the situation. Yeah. I like that you were wearing a helmet. I think you're really fortunate. I am. Yeah. I thank God that I didn't die or get paralyzed. I think it's pretty insane that I didn't. I've got a few more kind of lessons learned to add. So first don't take shortcuts or get complacent because of money or because you're just on a weekend adventure, you know, near your home rather than on a big expedition. Don't get complacent. You know, the mountain can still kill you even if it's close to your home or even if, you know, whatever factors are at play. Um, The second one is communicate openly with your partner about what you're doing and why like saying out loud what you're doing just just gives your partner an extra chance to to be like well hold on maybe we should rethink this um you know i think there was definitely some underlying like stuff between noah and i where like you know we we talked about it afterwards and and realized that we each were kind of looking to the other person as as like quote unquote the more experienced in that situation so i was kind of looking to him because he was the more experienced more veteran trad climber we're using rock gear to bail and he was kind of looking to me because i'm you know the more seasoned mountaineer and you know we had already done two each had set up two wraps on single pieces and you know had built up kind of a pretty substantial justification in our heads for making that third bail rappel a single piece again, regardless of how good or bad that stopper was. Number three, have a beacon and try to dial 911. First of all, it was, you know, a bad decision that neither of us had a satellite beacon at all. Or a sat phone. Yeah. Since changed that. Um, 
but also even though neither of us had service, you know, we should have tried to dial 911 because it's, I think, federal law that any carrier in reach of your phone has to put through that 911 call. And so even if it says no service, you should always try. Um, neither of us knew that at the time. Number four was have painkillers. I'd always kept those really hard painkillers like Vicodin in my wilderness first aid kit. That totally, you know, was what allowed me to, you know, bring the pain down to a manageable level and and actually, you know, problem solve it. Uh, number five was have good partners. Noah definitely saved my life that day. Like, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think my chances would have been very good. <laughs> So that kind of leads into number six, the last one, which is like, when possible, allow the patient some agency over their own rescue. So like once Noah realized that like my head was clear, I had my wits about me, I didn't have a TBI, he allowed me to problem solve with him what the best thing to do was. He didn't just run off. He didn't just, you know start immobilizing my spine and not allowing me to get warm or something like, you know, he, he problem solves out loud with me and, you know, gave me some control over what was going on. Um, and I think that that's like kind of a double hitter because not only did that, I think, increase the chances that I would get out of it alive, but also, um, and I didn't realize this in the moment. I think that definitely reduced the, the mental trauma later. Scott survived, sure, but his body paid a price. Bruised, cracked, and or fractured every single rib, L2 spine fracture, L4 herniated disc, double broken left scapula, aka shoulder blade, and tons of gashes and cuts on both of his legs. He spent several hours in the hospital to get some rest. Shoulder surgery was scheduled a couple days out. The doctor said no back surgery was needed and instead was told to immobilize it and rest. He took his rehab and training really seriously, and within two months, he was able to one-arm hang. Scott still had strength issues in that shoulder, but he's feeling more confident every day. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. Thank you to Desert Mountain Medicine. Desert Mountain Medicine, innovative wilderness medicine training since 1998. In accordance with various city, county, and state officials, DMM has resumed in-person courses. The health and safety of our students and instructors is top priority, and we will continue to adapt and innovate as we move forward in providing wilderness medicine training. Sign up for a hybrid woofer in Leadville, Colorado before September 21st and receive a discount of $100 using discount code SHARPEN100. Visit DesertMountainMedicine.com to sign up. Juggling your passion for sports with a busy life can be hard. You want a sports watch that is ready when you are and a smartwatch that handles your every day. Sunto 7 gives you the best of both worlds and it's designed to help you get the most out of your time. It's Sunto's first watch that combines its versatile sports experience and free offline outdoor maps with helpful smartwatch features from Wear OS by Google, making this watch the smartest sports watch yet. Go check it out at sunto.com slash sunto7 to learn more. To sign up for the Mammut MIPS climbing helmet, follow the Sharp End podcast and Mammut NA on Instagram. Tag two friends in this episode post and you're entered to win this jacket. 
I'll draw and announce the winner on October 15th. Good luck. Remember, play hard and be smart. <laughs>